0: Launched Discover Org back in 2007, grew to about 25 million bucks in ARR in 2014, sold a majority to Carlisle back then, and then, uh, sorry, to TA. uh, And then TA in 2018, they scaled from 25 million bucks in ARR up to 130 million bucks in ARR. TA then brought in Carlisle, sold about 30% of our holdings there. He's still incentivized, still growing the company, broke down the sales process today as they marched past 165 million bucks in ARR. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Henry Schuck. He's the co-founder and CEO of a company called Discover Org. He bootstrapped the company to 25 million bucks in ARR, and now three acquisitions later, he's backed by the Carlisle Group and TA Associates at about 165 million bucks in ARR. Henry, are you ready to take us to the top? I'm ready. Dude, your people people are like, okay, we know Henry is going to talk with Nathan. We're just going to put the AR in the bio so Nathan doesn't have to hit Henry about it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Last, the last time you came on, man, let's see, it would have been about um, almost two years ago. And I think at that point you had told me you were doing around 70 and now you're at kind of 165. Um, I want to dive into that in a second, but first for new listeners that didn't hear that first episode, tell folks what you do.
1: So Discover Org is a sales intelligence tool. It's actually used by sales reps and marketers to find the companies and the people to sell to, when to reach out to them, and how to get a hold of them. So imagine I'm selling an information security device. I know all the chief information security officers. I know what projects and initiatives they're working on. I know their phone number, their mobile phone number, their email address, and I know all the people around them as well.
0: Yep. So you launched the company back, uh, I think you told me, what would you say, 2011? Actually, I launched the company in 2007. Oh, okay, 2007. And then how long did it take you to get it to 25 bootstrapped? Seven years. Seven years, and is that when you sold or you held on to it a little longer than 2014?
1: Uh, Well, that's when we took private equity money. So it depends on your definition of sold, but we sold a piece of the business to private equity in 2014. Majority? Uh, We sold over 50%.
0: Okay, so that was the start. So I have to ask you a question. How how old were you in, in 2014?
1: In 2014, I was 30,
0: huh. 29, 30. And where, so where was, looking back now, let's say there's another 30-year-old listening that bootstrapped to 25 million and they've got, you know, there's so much, there's so much, it's very frothy right now in the marketplace. They've got a private equity firm going, let us buy 60, you know, main sale partners. We'll, we'll throw main sale under the bus for a second. I love those guys, but.
1: They were my first, uh, they were my first offer. Really? That's Actually. hysterical. And then. Two years later, I got three times as much as they offered me
0: two years <laughs> previously. Good, well, good small company firm. I was sure. going to say, small world. Okay. But so let's say one of my listeners now is getting a deal from Main Sale and they're saying, hey, we want to buy you for like X amount of money. I mean, what are some like lessons you learned selling the majority of the company kind of, I would argue, pretty early on? Um,
1: lessons I learned. I think Number uh, first of all, I never found an issue with selling a majority of the company, and I sort of viewed the first, um, I sort of viewed the first transaction like an exit, and then once that happened, it took a lot of sort of day to day pressure off of my shoulders, and so I could operate in a better way because it wasn't like all of my money in the company. It was like we were partners. And so I had taken some chips off the table and I could be a much better operating executive. Um, I think the exciting thing about private equity and my perspective is they've seen companies grow much beyond probably your imagination can see your company growing. And so they're sort of behind you, pushing you to get to the, the next stage and helping you sort of believe the story of the company growing much larger. But I think the key there is you have to find a great private equity partner or investor in general. And I, I think we sort of got lucky um, because you meet all these guys and they're like, oh, it's just like a marriage. We're going to be partners. You know, We like to let entrepreneurs run their businesses. And like half of them are telling the truth and half of them are not. The half that are not want to like, do things that the, the way they want to do them. They have a vision of a CEO that may not be you, that they're not going to tell you in a deal process. They're going to, you know, there's just a lot of people who are, you know, selling you a bag of goods. And it's sort of hard to tell which ones are which. You just have to talk to other founder CEOs that they've made investments in.
0: Yep. No, that makes good sense. Okay. So 2014, 25 million bucks in AR, you go ahead and take a deal, sell majority to, was that Carlisle? That was TA. Oh, TA came before. Okay, got it. So TA first, and then introduced Carlisle to the equation. When did that happen?
1: So then we operated for almost four years. We made a couple of acquisitions, um, had grown pretty significantly, and we're sort of at the end of what would be typically a hold period for a private equity firm. We're four years into what's typically a five-year hold. Um, And so TA decided we were going to go to market. There were The interesting thing here is TA was like, we can sell some portion of Discover Org today. We can sell all of it, our whole position. We could sell half of it. We could sell none of it. Um, And what they ended up doing was selling about uh, 30% of it, uh, of their holdings, because they uh, took Carlisle, because they saw a much uh, bigger future ahead of us as well. And so we were a very successful... Company in their portfolio because you can imagine we were 25 million when they invested, and from a run rate perspective, we're probably 120, 130 when Carlisle came in. And so that would have been last year, that was this year in March.
0: Okay, got it. And so you've added what another 35 million bucks in in ARR over the past couple months.
1: That's about right. It's a, le- a little less than that, but yeah. yeah.
0: So, so this, to me, I look at your space and I really see a duopoly between you guys and ZoomInfo. I mean, there's a lot of these little, like, I would call them kind of hacky-ish companies that do like an email scrape there or like something illegal on LinkedIn over there or like some other, you know what I'm talking about. How do, how do you differentiate against Zoom Info and do you really see it right now as a duopoly?
1: I don't see it as a duopoly. Um, I actually see... There are a ton of companies who have momentum in this space, who can spring up in a short period of time. I think what you see in this space today is getting access to data has become significantly easier than it was five years ago. Five years ago, if you wanted someone's direct dial phone number, we're the only shop in town. Um, today, there are a variety of different vendors who have a variety of different places that they can go to to get direct phone numbers and mobiles and personal numbers, um, and we have to, like, continuously innovate to keep ahead of those folks. There are, there's, you know, there's obviously, like, a long tail of what you might call, like, mid-market and SMB companies that play in this space. And then there's LinkedIn. And, like, in our space, Microsoft is the big player. Um, and so all of us combined have nothing on, uh, on the size and scope of LinkedIn and Microsoft as a sales solutions provider. Um, And so I view Microsoft as the 800-pound gorilla, and then there's a whole sort of litany of other providers that are competing against Microsoft.
0: Yeah. Talk to me about acquisition strategy. So you've done three acquisitions. When you go out and you do make an acquisition, what are you typically buying and what are you looking for?
1: Yep, I'm looking for growing profitable companies that that I can make grow faster and more profitably.
0: Typically um, adjacent to what you already do. So you can drive our expansion across your current base or directly in line with what you do. So you're buying a customer base and revenue.
1: It's, it's a little, it's a little bit of both. So, uh, So one, I'm looking ideally for sort of other really interesting data sets. So you're a company that does something really interesting in healthcare, and I have a bunch of clients who sell into the healthcare space, so I can take that data set and I can sell it to all of my clients. You're a company that does something really interesting from a data enrichment perspective. Uh, We made an investment in a company uh, that does email verification and email validation uh, for two reasons. One, we could use that to cleanse all of our data in a more uh, optimized way. And two, we think just cleansing data is a core competency of ours that we can start selling to our customers as well. So there has to be sort of an overlap where I can take what you're doing that you're really good at that I'm not good at today and then apply it to our 4,500 customers, uh,
0: uh, some way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, I have no insider information here, but and then, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, and then the other thing I would say is like, most companies don't figure out their go to market motion. They're, they have like a really interesting product and through sort of just grit, they're able to sell it a couple of times and build a million dollar AR business or something like that. Um, And so I'm also looking for like bad sales processes, because I think we have a really great one. And so that we could come in and sort of apply our domain expertise around go to market to a company that hasn't figured out that motion, and then really accelerate it.
0: Can you tell us more about that process, your go to market strategy? Why is it different than what most people would expect?
1: Yeah. So I don't know if it's different than most people would expect. It's like, I think what we're doing is what everybody knows they should be doing. It's just really hard to get there. And there's like, and the road to here is sort of littered with like mistakes and uh, wasted money. And, but so for example, we have a pretty dialed in SDR process. So we have almost 50 or a little over 50 SDRs. They come in, they, they, they sit in front of a computer they're, they have front spin as a dialer. They have um, Outreach and Sales Loft as email automation tools. The data flows from Org into Salesforce out to those tools. And they come in, they have a set of accounts, and it tells them, like, here are the people that you're calling today. Here's the background on them. Here's their direct
0: dial phone numbers. They're teamed up with account executives. Hold on, Henry. How many per day? Typically for the 50, what's the target? how many appointments? Yeah. So like for the SDR, they're making calls every day. There's 50 of them. How many, uh, one of them, how many calls are they making a day?
1: Oh, how many calls are they making? Anywhere from call it 80 to 150.
0: And then sorry, I cut then, you off. Keep going.
1: Yeah. The, the actual metric that we, we look at more closely is how many completed demos are they doing a month? And we're looking for that to
0: be more than 20. Okay. 20 completed demos per month. Interesting. Um, and then you were going to go into AEs at some point. when does the AE get involved? the AE gets involved after an appointment gets set by an SDr
1: so AEs don't do any hunting on their own. They're teamed up through with a pot of SDR, so you can think like five AEs and five SDRs are grouped together um, and then the AE gets involved once the appointment is
0: set. I see so those twenty target demos per SDR an account executive is on that is giving that demo. That's right interesting um the sale the sale closes does the A stay on the account or does it get passed to a CS team that's incentivized with expansion? It gets passed
1: to a CS team that's incentivized for expansion. Now that is actually, if you pause there sort of, if you think about what we just talked about, they're very specialized roles, right? There's an, we actually, even in SDR, it's specialized. So we have outbound SDRs, we have inbound SDRs, and then we have something called SWOT SDRs. So our inbound SDRs, if you fill out a form on our website, we're going to call you in two to three minutes to try to set that demo. Um, an outbound SDR, they have a list of target accounts, they use Discover Org data to go set what's, you know, typically a purely cold call. We have a SWOT SDR where it's somewhere in the middle, like someone's come to our website, they filled out something, and then we've nurtured them to a point where it's warm, it's not cold, but it's also not inbound. And so there's three levels of specialization in the SDR role. On the account executive side, there's also levels of specialization. There are sort of commercial reps who are doing sort of our SMB accounts. There are regular sort of reps, and then there are enterprise reps. And so they get, those leads get passed based on sort of where those- Regular those is mid-market? Regular would be mid-market. And then when that's done, that goes to a CSM team. So I close a deal. It actually goes to a learning and development team that does onboarding and training for our customers. They schedule a training and onboarding. They give you sort of like all the best practices and they do live trainings with our do customers. Do you underwrite that
0: with a setup person. fee passed to the customer? We don't. Okay.
1: Um, our business is 100% recurring revenue subscription. There's no per- professional services. There's no onboarding or implementation fees. It's all recurring, 100% recurring and subscription.
0: Okay, so learning and um, dev team. And then at what point does that get handed off to the CS rep? After onboarding, although the CS rep is sort of
1: riding along the learning and development cycle,
0: and how do you? What is the moment where you say yes? They're onboarded. Everybody's been trained. Interesting. Okay, so so you mean everyone on the company that just purchased they know how to log in, they know how to use it, they have their
1: usernames, they've all been through training. Interesting. And then
0: they, Um, and then a CS
1: person sort of owns the account from there.
0: Okay, and and so other CEOs that are in your AR range that I've asked this question on, I haven't gotten the same answer twice, which tells me there's a lot of experimentation you, happening. This, Well, no, it's on um, this specific thing. It's the CS incentive, the customer success incentivization, right? So if uh, they are, some of them are quota carrying, some of them are not. Some of them, it's a pool of money that then gets distributed at the end based off a team goal. Some it's not. Are your CS folks quota carrying? They are quota carrying. Yes. Interesting. Individually or as a group? Individually, interesting. Now,
1: individually and as a group. So, <laughs> so let's say I'm a I'm a CSM that manages accounts that have over a thousand employees. My quota, from a revenue perspective, it's it's based on revenue. So, I have a hundred dollars of business that I'm managing. My quota as that rep would be to get one hundred and fifteen dollars from my list of accounts in the in the subsequent year. So
0: 15% if expansion,
1: I'm 15% expansion ish. If I'm like a, a small company rep where I'm dealing only with companies with less than 25 employees. And by the way, we have a long, long almost none uh, of our business is sub hundred employee companies. And so Henry, if I'm cut working out, what, with sub, the, the smallest of those, um, more than 50% of our business is sub hundred employee companies. And if I'm working with the smallest of those, so I'm working with the sub 25 employee companies, then my quota is different, right? Like I can't, I'm not gonna get 115% out of SMB businesses. It's just a different sale. My quota there might be 90%. So the group, all of the sort of small company reps have the same quota. And then but there're different quotas for the different groups as you go sort of up the employee ladder.
0: What and your most aggressive one is 115% net expansion. Somewhere between call it 115 and 125. And most of the levers those CS folks are pulling to drive expansion, it's obviously I assume seat based, maybe contact based. Like tell me about the pricing axes. That's that's right. Just those, uh, okay. seats and and data. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what about um like additional product lines altogether? Um, well, th-
1: the way we think about product lines is data. So I may come in and say, I want to buy access to all of the companies that have over 5,000 employees. And then that goes really well. And so then I say, you know what? I'd like the rest of your data. I'd like it on all companies that are sub 5,000 employees, but greater than 100 employees. It's Like, okay, great. We can sell you that data. That's a pro- product skew that we can sell you. And then obviously you have a bunch of different reps who are, ma- who are selling to those accounts. So then we sell you users and then that data.
0: Those are the two elements. And when you roll the whole, your whole business up together, net revenue retention year over year, I assume you're above 100%. How far above 100? Um, it's close to 100. It's about okay. 100. And that's because you have such a big cohort of SMBs. I have, yep, I have a big, I have a big long tail of SMB clients. Yeah. I, do you, get, you must get pressure from the private equity, go upstream, go upstream.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit like I get pressure two ways. One um go upstream is great. Like we have this is the first year we have an enterprise sales team that's that's working on land and expand in a real way. But then the second is like look, we're going to we're going to serve SMB clients. And so as long as we're doing that, we better get good at doing that. Yeah. We can't just go like, oh, well, you know, they're SMB clients, so they don't renew at the same rate. It's like, no, this is something that we can go figure out. And so we're doing a lot of innovative stuff with our SMB clients, like giving them free access to um, email and dialing solutions because they tend to be, um, they tend to be less sophisticated from, a, from how to engage with people, doing more consulting with them, having more consultative reps there who understand the SMB space. Like uh, you've done a couple of interviews with Clayton. At, uh, yep. at, at Infusionsoft. And I think about that business a, a lot because I was an SMB client of Infusionsoft. I ran our whole business on Infusionsoft until we were about 15 million in revenue. And then I was like, yeah, I should probably graduate to like Marketo or Pardot and then get Salesforce as the underpinning of that whole thing. And that sort of happens in the SMB business, in the SMB space. You graduate, um, but we should be working with clients with the same mindset as Infusionsoft does in the SMB space, which is, you know, grow them, make them really successful. And you can't just like thumb your nose at the fact that you have a big SMB base.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, totally agree with you there. Um, what do you have guys? What do you have today in terms of total customers? About 4,500. 4,500. Okay. Interesting. And then, um, question on how aggressive you're being with tech. You know, I, I recently had, um, I'm going to forget his name. Uh, oh, Adam on Ping Identity, you know, Vista obviously just kind of owned those guys and they're getting more aggressive with kind of their dollar-based CAC. They're spending like a dollar to sorry, a dollar 20 to get a dollar of new ARR right now. Are, are you generally getting more or less aggressive on your payback period?
1: Um, we're getting more aggressive, but it's still really profitable.
0: It's still like a 1 to 1. Yeah. Okay, pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, and why get more aggressive?
1: Well, well let, me, let me say, it's actually less than one-to-one, which is part of the beauty of the sales model that I, that I talked about, even with SDRs going one-to-one to reps and, and sort of like the optimization across that go-to-market layer makes the customer acquisition pro, uh, process really efficient and really
0: profitable. So just to be clear, Henry, when you say less than one-to-one, you mean you could spend like 80 cents to get a new dollar of ARR? That's right. Yeah. Is that the number 80?
1: No, it's no, it's not 80, but it, but it's 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 slightly less than 80.
0: OK, good. Um, interesting. Um, walk me through. Uh, so last question before we wrap up, I just read we're out of time. Uh, you let you let you let my you let my boy Ilya get away. I'm sure you looked at data. And nice. it goes to Zoom Info, why didn't you make a move on that?
1: I have better technographics than data. And is that
0: what you just told? Okay. I was about to say, I'm just going, Ilya, listen, like if you think your technographics are better then you need to go to Henry and get a bidding war going. And he's like, well, yeah, yeah, da, 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 da. but you think your techno stuff is better. Nathan, I lost you. I was just saying, I was just saying you have complete confidence. Your technographics are better than data. Nice. I do. <laughs> okay. Good stuff. Let's wrap up here with the famous, famous five. Number one, Henry, what's your favorite business book? Uh, the hard thing about hard things. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? I really like dark, kosher, shall we at Uber? Yep. Number three, favorite online tool for building your business besides your own?
1: Um, great question. Probably
0: Google apps. Google apps. Guys, so unique, Henry. I tell you what, never heard this before. <laughs> All right. No, number, number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? I get eight hours of sleep every night. That's good. And what's your situation? Married, single kiddos? I'm married and I have a two and a half year old. Oh, that's exciting. And how old are you? I am 35. 35. All right. Take us home here. What do you wish your 20 year old self knew?
1: Uh, Oh, that's a great question. What do I think my, what do I wish my 20 year old self knew? Um, To hire the most talented people you can find at all stages of your business.
0: Hire more talent faster, guys. There you have it. From Henry, launched Discover Org back in 2007, grew to about 25 million bucks in ARR in 2014, sold a majority to Carlyle uh, back then, and then, uh, and, sorry, to TA, uh, and then TA in 2018, they scaled from 25 million bucks in ARR up to 130 million bucks in ARR. TA then brought in Carlyle, sold about 30% of our holdings there. He's still incentivized, still growing the company, broke down the sales process today as they marched past 165 million bucks in ARR. Henry, thanks for taking us to the top.
1: Thanks, Nathan.